0: Hello there, my name is Chris Martin. I'm the lead pastor of Loomarth Road Church. I want to take a minute and say thank you so much for streaming our service today. We hope and trust you'll be blessed by watching it and that you will have a meaningful encounter with Jesus. Just a few things to note here before the service starts. And the first thing is, you can stay connected with us through the YouVersion Bible app. If you download the app and go to events, It will show you a map of Columbus. Just find Linworth Road Church and then click on it. Then you'll be able to see sermon notes and announcements and song lyrics for the worship time. There is also a Connect card on there, and you can fill that out with any prayer request or questions you might have. Also, as a way to stay connected and stay up to date, I want to encourage you to check out our website, linworthroadchurch.com. On there, you can watch previous messages, learn about the different ministries and resources we offer, find out information on upcoming events, and you can give financially online as well. So again, thank you for watching. Enjoy the service.
1: You stay the same through the ages, your life never changes, there may be pain in the night, but joy comes in.
2: that there are these little cute communion cups. They're very all-encompassing. They have the bread and the juice. And they're back on some tables. If you guys missed that, there's some more. But I'm going to share a little bit. Feel free, if you did grab one, to take communion at any time during the next song or as we are here together. And if you want to grab one, go ahead and grab one while I talk. But this morning, we just wanted to celebrate his death and thank him for what he did when he died on the cross, because Jesus, um, he did that as a perfect plan, not not a second plan, but as his very first plan that God the Father had organized, and so this was always their idea that Jesus would go to the cross and die for our sins, and I wanted to read from 1 Corinthians 11, 23, and as we read through this, we can take together the conclusion the Lord's Supper. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks for it. And he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new com- covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. So let's take this together. were a little extreme when they would say, oh, I just hope the Lord comes back so soon. I was like, oh, but, but I want to live a little life first. And so, but I found myself in the last few months just praying that he would come back all the time. And now I think, you know, this life is, is fine here on earth, but oh, there's so much more for us in heaven. And I cannot wait to be there and be free from all of the... Crazy stuff that's going on, and and celebrate with him all the time. But I just want to pray and and um, bless this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you that the sun's shining again. Thank you that we are able to gather. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless this time, and that you would receive our full affection and our full praise this morning through this communion that we took and also through our songs, and through this message that we will hear, and through our own hearts and prayers that we are actively thinking and praying as we hear from you this morning. I pray, Lord, that each person would be able to worship you in a very intimate and special way this morning. In Jesus' name.
1: I've been born again into your family Yeah. And you can take a seat. Pastor Chris will be up here for a couple of announcements Yes
0: Okay, good morning. How y'all doing? You're blessed. Great to see you this morning, and and, uh, we got good weather. Yeah, we got good weather, and weren't quite as sure on Thursday and Friday, but uh, looks like it's going to be good, a little warm. And um, don't forget, if you're in the sun, we do have a couple canopies back there. So the shade is moving, but that is available. We got Dale back there all by himself right now, feeling awfully lonely. So... um, Hey, thanks so much for coming out. It really is great to see every single one of you. I know a few of you are here that were not here last week. We certainly want to keep this a very safe environment. And so, again, we'd ask you to, uh, uh, after the service as well, continue to practice social distancing, please. And remember, it's not just about you, but it's about that other person and, again, what they're thinking and feeling. So do practice social distancing when we're all done. A couple of things, again, by way of just what's just logistically. Remember, there's one door uh, that's unlocked for restroom use, though we ask you not to gather inside, but it's the door leading into the fellowship hall. There is an area for offering, again, at our entry points, uh, or you can do it online. So, again, we really, really appreciate all your support financially through, through uh, this time. Uh, One thing I want to mention by way of announcement, a very unique opportunity, Uh, our uh, evangelism and mission team would like to invite you to consider recording your faith story, um, and we'd like to publish it on Facebook. And uh, so uh, one of our members did that, and and it's really quite amazing the amount of uh, feedback and comments and views and so forth. And so we want to encourage you to consider sharing your story, and uh, recording it, and we'll help you do that, and to uh, to put it on Facebook. So, again, there's contact information. If you got your e-letter, there's contact information there on that, and you can or you can talk to Mike or Dale. They'd be happy to help you with that. What a great time to get our stories of how Christ has transformed us again into that into that uh, into that public that public setting that public world. Well, this morning. Uh, we are going to get back a little bit to normal, so we're going to journey, uh, get back into our journey through Luke's gospel, and uh, Mike's going to pick it up here, I think it's at the end of, chapter, uh, end of chapter 19, 20, end of chapter 20, beginning of chapter 21, so we'll get back to a little normalcy in that sense this morning as we uh, get back to Luke. We've been able to address some really important issues the last several weeks, um, racism, Uh, unity in the church, uh, mourning and praying for our country and for healing in so many respects, uh, healing for our country. And it's been good to do that. And uh, this week we'll return back to Luke and look for ways again to continue to integrate that, integrate Luke's story into our world and to our community. This is a special weekend. Some of you may not have been aware of this, but on Friday, there's a day called Juneteenth. And Juneteenth celebrates the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, 1863, that freed African slaves. And um, what uh, an African-American slaves. What an amazing day that was, and really a day that all Americans can truly celebrate. And then, of course, today is Father's Day. And I want to give a shout out to every one of you, Fathers today. Hasn't it been a unique time for all of us? But again, for dads, a unique time of pressure, a unique time of somewhat disorientation, maybe a feeling of disequilibrium. How do I shepherd my children? How do I care for my children? How do I lead my family? How do I navigate through the challenges in my vocation? And I just want to say briefly, dads, we're going to pray for you here in a moment, but I just want to leave you with this one word today. Because you may have been asking the question what is the best way to love my child? What is the best way to love my child? There are certainly a lot of cultural messages to you, dads, about that. And By the way, we celebrate the fact that the culture is, uh, in some ways, beginning to recognize the pivotal role that dads play. And you'll hear advice like spending quality time with your children, giving your children vocational guidance, uh, get interested in what they get interested in or what they're uh, excited about. And you may even hear in the general culture to love their mother is the best way to love them. I think those are all fantastic things. And dads, I would encourage you to excel in every single one of them. But there is one thing missing in the cultural message that is the best way, fathers, for you to love your children. The best way for you to love your children is by loving God. Loving God first. Putting God first in your life. Proverbs 20, verse 7 there's quite a few texts like this. I'm just going to read one. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, The righteous, other versions say, The righteous man leads blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. The righteous leads blameless, a blameless life. Other versions say a life of integrity. Blessed. Happy, fulfilled, satisfied, set apart, are their children after them. You know, for some of you older, the idea of maybe where your children are at right now may be discouraging to you as a father. Here's my counsel to you keep loving God. Keep loving God for who He is. Keep loving God for what He is. Won't guarantee where your children will, decisions they'll make, but it certainly gives them the best opportunity to see the life of God worked out in you. This is the way to love your children. The best way is by loving, loving God. So dads, I'm going to pray for you right now as your pastor and as a fellow father, I want to pray for you. If you are in, if you're close to a father and you're in their friend group, or if you're in their family group, feel free to lay a hand on them. And let's, as a congregation and a body, let's pray and lift up our fathers this morning. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every father in this gathering that they would be empowered through your Holy Spirit to love you, to love the things that matter to you, to love the people of God, to love God's Word, to love the values that God believes in, is created, reinforces, highlights, promotes. Heavenly Father, as your sons will you raise up fathers like that and for those here Lord in our gathering and I know that there are many in our gathering here who do not have their earthly father or their earthly father is unavailable to them or their earthly father is not involved in their lives There are those here that, fathers who've had painful losses. Father, I pray for these men as well young men, older men, to whom this day brings sadness, brings loss. And I pray for them that you would comfort them in a way that only their heavenly Father can comfort them. I pray that you'd bring men into their lives. Who can demonstrate the life of Christ to them? I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, dads. Okay. Why don't you open your Bibles to Luke? And Mike's going to take it away. Okay. Got that mic. Got the right one? Yeah.
3: Okay. It is open. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning, Linworth, and those who are watching online. How many of you like to be outdoors? Yeah, it's great, isn't it? You know, it, uh, it does present a few challenges. Uh, last week, we were a little more spread out because it wasn't so hot, so we sometimes have to deal with the heat or maybe later the cold. Last week, it was kind of chilly almost. Uh, but, you know, there's the wind, there's the rain, and uh, different things that you some challenges sometimes you have to deal with outdoors. You know, we have our staff meeting right here in this corner. And uh, last Wednesday, we, my goodness, we just kept getting interrupted by airplanes. Airplanes kept flying back and forth. You know, we got Don Scott Field right over here. And, uh, but as I saw all those airplanes, I saw one this morning, but I couldn't help but think about a man that I heard about that was just he was just scared to death to fly. Just the thought of being in an airplane just terrified him. Well, he got drafted into the army. And uh, they put him in the paratrooper division. And, of course, he was scared to death just the thought of jumping out of an airplane. So on his first jump, they had to push him out of the airplane. But they said, because you're so afraid, because you're so scared, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put two parachutes on you. That way, if one doesn't work, surely the other one will work. And not only that, but we're going to have a Jeep down there waiting on the ground for you so that you don't even have to walk. Well, they pushed him out of the airplane. And right away, he pulled the first ripcord on the first parachute, and nothing happened. It didn't work. And he said, aha, aha, I knew it, I knew it. And then he pulled the second cord on the second parachute, and it didn't work either. And he said, aha, I knew it, I knew it. And then he looked down to the ground and he said, you know what, I'll bet you they don't have that Jeep down there waiting for me either. (laughs) Well, anyway, (laughs) now if you see an airplane, don't think of that, try to stay focused on the message. But there are some uh, uh, challenges sometimes being outdoors. But we're back in the book of Luke and we're in a series called The Gospel for Everyone. And in your Bibles, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 20, and we'll look at the text in just a moment. Now, this morning, we're going to look at a very short passage of Scripture. We're going to see two groups of people, the teachers of the law and the widows. And these two people, uh, they're just as opposite as any two people could ever be. One was wealthy, the other very poor. One was well-known, one was little-known. One was powerful, one was weak two people at opposite ends of the spectrum. But what we learn about them is relevant to our lives, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, because the scripture we're going to look at this morning applies to each one of us. But before we look at it, would you join me in prayer? Father, we do thank you for this beautiful uh, morning. And we thank you for your word. Father, we believe it's true. and We ask that you would speak. Speak to each one of us this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we've gone through Luke, you may recall that Jesus has had confrontations with the Jewish religious leaders, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and they've come at him with questions designed to trap him. Of course, they're no match for Jesus, nor are they any match for his mental agility. And now he is at the temple with his disciples, and he's setting a cross opposite of the treasury where people put their gifts into the temple treasury. And let's pick up the text now in Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 45, and we're going to go just in to chapter 21 as well, beginning in verse 45. Now, while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show, they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people have, have gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, this morning, I want us to see three things from this passage, three simple truths that apply to all of us. The first truth is, is that God sees us. God sees us. Now, Jesus is at the temple, and according to Mark's gospel, he was setting in a place where he could watch the crowd. Jesus was watching. He was watching the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. Jesus was watching. He saw the rich put their gifts in. He saw a poor widow put in Two real small copper coins, just worth a couple pennies. Do you ever watch people in a crowd? You know, I think a lot of us do. I like to watch people sometimes. Well, you know, if you and I had been there that morning watching the people put their money in the treasury, that wouldn't have been no big deal. It wouldn't have been nothing significant about that. But it is when Jesus is watching. Because when Jesus is watching, God is watching. Because that's who Jesus was. He was God. He was God in the flesh. And as we go through the Gospels, we see His divinity time and time again. And we've certainly seen it here in the book of Luke. But Jesus is watching. He's watching everything that's good, He's watching everything that's bad. Nothing is hidden from His sight. The first Bible verse Kelly and I taught our children was Genesis 16:13, which says, God, sees me. God sees me. Well, at least that's the paraphrased version that we gave to our children. God sees me. But you know, that's not just for little children. That's something for all of us to think about. Think about it. God sees us. Now, don't think about that airplane. Think about it, though. God sees us. I mean, sometimes we forget that. You ever get in a fight or an argument or I know some of you don't fight or argue. Maybe you get in a disagreement. But maybe your voice begins to get elevated a little bit. And all of a sudden you think, "Oh my goodness, are the kids hearing this? Are the grandkids hearing this? Or are the windows open? Do the neighbors hear?" And we're concerned and we ought to be. But do we stop and think that God is listening? He sees us. He hears us. I'm sure by now you've all heard about the woman who was fervently praying. And she prayed, Lord, you know, so far I've had a pretty good day. I haven't yelled at my husband. I haven't yelled at the kids. I haven't sworn or cussed. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't even kicked a dog. But, Lord, in just a few minutes, I'm going to be getting up out of bed, and I'm really going to need your help. And The truth is we all need God's help, don't we? But God sees the way we treat one another, the way we speak to one another, the way we treat our spouse, the way we speak to our spouse, the way we speak to our kids, or the way we speak and treat our parents. He's watching. And he hears and sees everything. We read in Hebrews 4.13 that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God sees everything. Jesus saw the rich giving their gifts at the temple. And he saw a poor widow give all that she had to live on. No one goes unnoticed. He sees all. He sees all the good we do. He sees all the time you give in secret, all the times you've served and you've helped others, and no one ever knew, no one ever saw, all the things you've done for God that no one ever knew, that no one ever saw, but God saw it. It didn't go unnoticed. All the times you went into your room and shut the door and you hit your knees and you cried out to God and maybe tears were streaming down your cheeks, God saw you. And he heard your prayers. We read in Psalm 121 at least four times it says that the Lord watches over us. He watches over us. He watches over us to protect us. He watches over our life. He watches over our coming and our going, both now and forevermore. And he will never, never fall asleep on his watch. Isn't that good to know in times like this? The Lord perceives us just like he did the widow. No, we can't see God. But you need to know that God sees you always. He sees all the big issues of your life. He sees what you're going through, and he cares. You need to know that he's watching you just as he did the poor widow. You need to know that you don't go unnoticed, that he sees you, he loves you, and he cares for you. But he also sees the bad. The ugly. Yeah, he sees the times we argue and fight, the times we lose our temper, when we fail to do good or when we grieve the Holy Spirit. You know we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The times we grumble and complain or times we are watching things we shouldn't watch or looking at things we shouldn't look. It makes us stop and think, are there things we need to stop doing? Things in our life we need to get rid of? Areas where we need to change? Or what about the times we shrunk back in fear and the, the times he wanted us to speak up and we remained silent? God sees it all. But God can help us. He can help us change. And maybe there needs to be confession. And we have that wonderful promise in First John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But he not only sees our actions, he sees our hearts. In our text this morning, Jesus said, beware of the teachers of the law. Beware of the teachers of the law. Now, why did he say that? Because he not only saw their outward actions, how they would strut around in flowing robes, and how they choose the best seats in the synagogue and the banquets. He saw their hearts. In Matthew 23, Jesus told the teachers of the law, He said, You look so good on the outside, but inside, in your hearts, you're full of greed and you're full of self-indulgence. In your hearts, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus saw their hearts. That they covered themselves with religion, but their hearts were far from God. And how many people are like that today? You know, we see all the problems in the world today, the violence, the the hatred, the injustice, the rebellion, the theft, the corruption, the greed, the immorality, and all of these come out of the human heart, said Jesus. You know, this world will never change until our hearts change. And only God can change our hearts through the gospel when Jesus comes to live within us through the Holy Spirit, as Chris spoke about last week. That's the only thing that can change this world. Jesus coming into our hearts and changing us from the inside out, making us a new creation in Christ. And then secondly, we learn from this passage that God will judge us. God will judge us. God not only sees all we do, he evaluates all he sees. The Bible says just as people are destined to die once and then after that to face the judgment, all of us are going to have to stand before God and give an account of our lives. Have you noticed how it seems today that everything gets caught on camera? I mean, whether it's a storm or it's a a shooting or a crime or an accident, or it's a recording of Something uh, someone said years ago that now has proved that they lied. It seems that no matter what happened, it's, it's caught on camera, a security camera or a drone flying overhead or a satellite beaming down, or someone is recording it on their cell phone. I mean, cell phones are everywhere, recording things. You know, I don't know what we ever did without cell phones. I mean, how did we ever live? How did we survive? How did we function? How did we get around? Maybe that's why Kelly and I always got lost when we took a vacation. Last fall, I was speaking to uh, students at Columbus State, and a couple times, I I remember looking over uh, several times, and there was a student there, had their cell phone out recording me. Seems like everything's getting recorded. And now, of course, we have Zoom And what a blessing that's been during this pandemic. took a little while for some of us to get used to. took me a little while. I remember when I first discovered I could mute my microphone, I could mute it, and then no one could hear. And then I learned that I could turn off the camera and that no one could see me. But God's microphone is never muted. His camera's never turned off. From the moment we're born to the moment we die, God's camera is rolling and zooms in on each one of us. Everything is being filmed and recorded. Everything we've ever said, everything we've ever done, even our thoughts and our motives are all being recorded and kept for that day of judgment. I mean, think of it. If we're able to record almost everything, imagine what God can do. He doesn't miss anything. Now, Jesus made a judgment that day at the temple. He made a judgment. As he watched all the people put their gifts in the treasury, he made an evaluation. He made a judgment. And here's what it was. The poor widow, she gave more than all the others. To Jesus, her pennies were more than the gifts of all the wealthy. She gave the most. That was Jesus' evaluation. Now, why? I mean, it was only a couple pennies. And the rich had put in huge gifts. Why is that? Jesus saw her sacrifice. He saw that she gave all that she had to live on. He saw her heart. You see, Jesus was looking past the quantity of the gift. He was looking at the quality of the gift. Now, here Jesus shows us two types of giving. First, giving out of our abundance. And that's okay. It's appreciated, and God uses it, but it costs the giver very little. And then there's sacrificial giving, the way the widow gave. It's the way Jesus gave when he went to the cross and died for us. It cost him everything to save us. He held nothing back to save you and me. You see, for the Christian, sacrificial giving is more than just giving some of our money. It's giving of our time. It's giving of the talents that God has given us, the gifts that God has given us. It's giving of that. It's giving of our very lives. It's laying our lives down for one another. It means giving up basic things in order to please and honor God. Now for Jesus to say the widow gave more than all the others, the only way you can make a judgment like that is if first you knew how much each person gave and then you knew how much each person had left over after they gave and then you'd have to know what was in each person's heart and be able to weigh their motives. And you say, well, only God could know that. That's right. But Jesus knew all of that and he made an evaluation. We read in John 2 that Jesus knew all people, and he didn't need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now, the Bible is very clear that Jesus Christ will be the judge of all humanity. John 5.22 says, The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. You see, God the Father has entrusted all judgment to God the Son, and Jesus has authority to judge because He is the Son of Man. So Jesus has authority to judge. Now, yes, Jesus was God in the flesh. He was 100% God, but He was also 100% man. And because He was a man, He was a person like you and me, He has the authority to judge. There's not a temptation you've ever faced, not a trial you've ever faced that Jesus hasn't been through before, and he resisted every one of them, but he's been there and he understands. And so he has the authority to judge us. Bible says that even the nations will stand before Jesus to be judged when the Son of Man comes in his glory. And all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And on that day, you're not going to want to be a goat. You're going you're to want to be one of God's sheep. Jesus will even judge the secrets of our hearts. Romans 2. says this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. All the things we thought no one ever knew about, all the hidden things, all the secret things will all be brought out on that day. No wonder Jesus said back in Luke chapter 8, he said there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be made known or brought out into the open. But here's the good news there's good news. Jesus didn't come to judge us. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. And on the cross, he took the judgment we deserved. And now for those who are in Christ Jesus, the Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus took that condemnation on the cross. And then lastly, the third truth, at the judgment, there will be rewards and there will be punishment. Now, we don't know much about this widow. We know she was poor. We know she gave sacrificially. And we know she'll be richly rewarded for her sacrifice and for her heart for God. And you say, well, how do I know that? Because Jesus said, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of my followers, he said, truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Well, what about the rich who gave that day at the temple? Will they be rewarded? Yes, I believe so. If they gave with the right motives and they gave with the right heart, yes, they'll be rewarded. No doubt it was the gifts of the wealthy that built that temple. It wasn't built with gifts like the widows. A couple pennies didn't build that magnificent temple. That magnificent temple that we're going to see will, will, ha- will come down very soon, as we'll see next week as Chris leads us through chapter 21. But you see, God uses the gifts of the wealthy to advance the gospel. He uses the gifts of the wealthy to feed the hungry, to help the poor, to build churches, and yes, they'll be rewarded. Paul told Timothy, command the wealthy to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. You know what I think? I think there's a lot of people in this church that are laying up treasures in heaven because this is a generous, generous church. You're so generous with the poor. And I can speak on the behalf of the elders. We're just so encouraged by your generosity. And you're laying up treasure in heaven. You know, the old saying's true. We can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. But you know what encourages me most about this story? What encourages me more than anything else about this story is this one thing that we learn. What encourages me most is that we learn it doesn't take a lot to make a difference for God. It doesn't take a lot to make a difference for God. It doesn't take a lot to be a great man or woman of God. It doesn't take a lot of money. It doesn't take a long list of credentials. It doesn't take an impressive education. It just takes a heart for God and a willingness to give him the little that we have, just like the widow did. You know, that so encourages me because so many times I feel like I just don't have that much to give you, Lord. But I've found that when I give him the little that I have and I step out in faith, he can use it for his glory. All through the Bible, you'll see that God uses ordinary people, just ordinary people. Think of the disciples Jesus chose. Here's what was said about Peter and John in the book of Acts when they were drugged before the teachers of the law for preaching the gospel. We read in Acts 4.13, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were just unschooled, ordinary men. But they turned the world upside down for Christ. Do you want to make a difference for God? Do you want God to use you? Well, you probably won't have to give him all the money that you have to live on like the widow did, but you will have to spend time with Jesus. You'll have to spend time with Jesus in Bible reading and prayer. You'll have to give him all of your heart and make him the Lord of every area of your life. And then you will have to step out in faith and let him use you for your glory. And if we'll do that, there'll be reward in heaven. Now, there's at least two aspects of God's judgment. First, there's the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, this judgment will be for God's people, the followers of Jesus Christ. Sin will not be an issue here, because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. This judgment will be an evaluation of how we live the Christian life. It will bring rewards to some, and it will bring loss to others. The Bible says that fire will test the quality of the work we did for the Lord. Selfish works or those done with wrong motives will be burned up like wood, hay, or straw. The works we did for the Lord that have lasting value are compared to gold, silver, precious stones that will survive the fire of God's judgment. Some Christians will suffer loss on that day. Others will be given rewards or crowns to lay at our master's feet. Yes, there'll be rewards. That ought to motivate us. Jesus said, look, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon and my reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. And on that, day, on that day, the poor widow will no longer be poor. Her sacrificial gift has been remembered for 2,000 years and it will be remembered for all eternity. And so will all the things you've done for the Lord. All the times you gave in the name of Jesus, all the times you served in the name of Jesus, all the times you showed the love of Christ to others, all the times you shared your faith, God will never, ever, ever, ever forget it. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. No, God won't forget. He sees all you do. Others may not see. Others may never know what all you do. That's okay. God sees it and he's going to reward you one day for it. And then... There is the judgment for unbelievers. There will be punishment. Remember what Jesus said about the teachers of the law? How they liked walking around in their flowing robes? How they loved being greeted with respect and have the most important seats? And for a show, they made lengthy prayers. And then he said this, they devour widows' houses. In other words, they took advantage of widows' They took advantage of widows, the most vulnerable of society. Apparently, in managing the widows' affairs, the teachers of the law took a large cut for themselves. And Jesus told his disciples, beware of them. Beware of their hypocrisy. Beware of their false teaching. And think of the false teaching we have today. Beware. And how will you know if it's false teaching? Only because you know the word of God. And so when you hear something false, you can say, no, that's not, that's not right, because I know what God's Word says. Beware of their false teaching. Beware of the power of a false religious system that may have influenced or pressured a poor widow to give the last couple pennies that she had. And then Jesus said this, they will be punished most severely. They will be punished most severely. What did he mean? I believe he was telling us something about judgment, something about hell. You know, when I read this, I couldn't help but think about the great white throne judgment, the final judgment of mankind. If you have your Bible, turn in your Bibles to Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11. This is one of the most tragic passages in all the Bible. Listen to these sobering words. This is John writing Revelation on the island of Patmos. And he got a vision, and he said, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And deaf and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then deaf and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Imagine being there. When the earth and the sky flee away, And the only thing you can see is Jesus with a gaze you can't bear, eyes of fire. You know, we're rightly concerned about a government that can go through your phone calls or your online activity. We all demand privacy. But before the great white throne, there'll be no privacy. Everything about your life will be made known. The Bible says God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. All the things done in secret, all the hidden things will all be brought out and exposed on that day. And then all the careless things we've said, all the careless things we've ever said will be heard that day. Jesus said, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Can you imagine Now, our Lord's judgment will be completely fair and just. We read in Acts 17, 31, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. There will be justice on that day. There will be justice. The great white throne judgment is the final court. There are no appeals. There will be no debate over anyone's guilt. And no one will accuse God of being unjust or unfair on that day because he'll have the record there. The books will be opened. And many who are demanding justice now will beg for mercy then. But it will be too late. Because the very fact that you're there will indicate that you're guilty. Because you see, if you know Jesus Christ, a wonderful thing has happened. Your judgment is passed your judgment took place at the cross. The cross was a judgment. God took all of your sins and all of my sins and laid them on Jesus at the cross. And he took the judgment in the hell that we deserved, paid the penalty for our sin so that your judgment is passed and you'll never have to stand at that judgment of condemnation, the great white throne. If if we have repented of our sins and received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the gospel. You see, there is something much greater than God's judgment, and that's the love and the mercy and the grace of God. The message is good news. If, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't even be up here speaking this, this morning. The message is good news. and In spite of all I've said about the judgment, there's good news. God loves us. God will forgive us because of the cross. God promises to bury our sins in the depths of the sea so that he won't even remember them anymore. God has the ability to forget. He can erase our sins. The blood of Jesus can wash them all away and make us pure and clean. But you and I must do something in response to God's love and mercy. We must open our hearts and receive them as our Lord and Savior. And this morning, if you're not sure of your relationship with God, or you may be watching online, and you say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how I stand with God. I'm not sure of my relationship with God. I can't say for sure that my sins are forgiven. I can't say for sure that if I die today, I know I'm going to heaven. But I'd like to be sure, I'd like to know, I'd like to have a relationship with God. And and you ask, well, what would I have to do? You have to be willing to repent of your sins, to admit that you've sinned, to say, God, oh God, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you who loves me so much. Will you forgive me and help me to turn from my sin? And then look to the cross where God's love was poured out for you, where Jesus died for you, for your sin. You know, the title of this message is God Sees Me. You know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on that cross, bleeding and dying for you and me, he had the capacity to look down through the centuries of time and see you. And see you as though you were the only person in the whole world. And from the cross, he was saying, I love you. I'm dying for you. And he has his arms out for you, wanting to come into your heart, wanting to come into your life, forgive every sin, give you the gift of eternal life, and have a relationship with you, the God who created you. And if you're not sure you've ever really received Christ, if you, you're just not sure, and you'd like to be sure, you'd like to know your sins are forgiven, you'd like to know you're going to heaven, then I'm going to ask you to make sure as we close in prayer this morning, in the closing prayer. And you can pray a simple prayer right after me. But if it's a prayer that's offered from your heart, God will hear it. He promises that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you see every person who is listening to this message. And you will hear a prayer that's offered to you. And right now, Lord, if there's someone that they're not sure of their relationship with you, they're not sure they ever received you, would you help them right now to believe, to put their faith and trust in you and to pray this prayer? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Help me to turn from my sin. But Jesus, I believe you're the Savior who loved me and died for me and rose from the dead. And I want you to come into my heart, into my life. Make me the person you want me to be and help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And Father, for all of us, Help us to remember that simple truth that you see us. And might that motivate us to live a godly and a holy life until you return to this earth or until you take us home. But it might also encourage us that you see all that we go through. You never stop watching over us. You never stop seeing us, no matter what we're going through. And you're there to help us and to hold us up. And as we think of your return, Lord, you said, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. To give to each person according to what they've done. Lord, might that motivate us to always give ourselves fully to your work, knowing that our labor is not in vain. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, and maybe you're watching online, or maybe you're here this morning, would you tell someone, tell another Christian, and uh, tell us so that we might help you grow in your relationship with God. And now, for our final blessing, raise your hands if you'd like to. This comes from Jude 24, 25 to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault, blameless, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So good to see you. We'll see you next Sunday as Chris continues in our series in Luke. And happy Father's Day to everybody. Thanks for coming. Have a great day.